AVXL episode 174 was recorded on March 17th, 2022. We got a Samsung QD OLED TV leak. Amazon officially owns MGM. Tube shortages. Netflix starts cracking down on password sharing. Epson's got a new flagship projector, including your cell phone speaker, and quite a bit more. Don't forget to email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And thank you. Really, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Your monthly contributions make this podcast possible, and we appreciate that. Thanks again. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Thanks, man. <laughs> I was I was frightened. Uh, so I'm in Dogtown, which is traditionally the Irish community in St. Louis, across the, uh, uh, on the other side of 44, Interstate 44, 44, is uh, the hill, which is the traditional center of the Irish community in uh St. Louis. And here in Dogtown, uh, one of our local residents, I guess, tweeted, my wife saw this, uh, that the hospitals are expecting record cases of alcohol poisoning because this is the first St. Patrick's Day parade in uh, two years. It's a big deal in this neighborhood. Uh, People my are wife saw. Cutting loose. Oh, my goodness. My wife saw a couple of fairly serious lads splitting the bottle of Jameson's when she walked the dog this morning. And I thought, like, that's really early. And then I thought, well, I found out later that the parade. It was at 11 o'clock this morning, so it wasn't really that early at all. Oh, no. That's <laughs> you know, priming the pump for an all-day festival. You know, there's a, as, as I'm fond of pointing out, I, I've been sober for 30 years, and there's a reason I'm not allowed to drink anymore. Because um, tequila. Oh, yes. The, the finest of alcohols. <laughs> anyway, man. I miss being downtown in the financial district of San Francisco during this time. It was like that one day of the year where literally everyone kind of just came out of the office early and got a little loco. It was always messy and, and overcrowded, but it has its own <laughs> charm. And I'm sure that hasn't happened in a few years. And I'm curious to see what, if anything's happening downtown there right now. But in my little oh, neck goodness. of the woods, it's super quiet. <laughs> I don't hear a damn thing around here. So <laughs> I'll have to make my own uh, fun or head into the city later and check it out. But... All is well on this St. Patrick's Day. Kind of uh, big news, not so big news. You found a QD OLED TV leak. We, do we have serious information about Samsung's new flagship televisions? I think so. I would like to say <laughs> hello to the Samsung S95B series 4K Quantum Dot Ooh. OLED TV. Uh, the wonderful Mr. Vincent Tio over at HDTV Test on their YouTube channel uh, to my eyes, at least, posted this tweet he came across that listed mm -hmm. an accidental Amazon listing that described the uh, so far kind of mysterious 2022 Samsung QD OLED television. That listing has since been deleted, but the screenshot, if it is to be believed, shows the 55-inch and the 65-inch S95B listed at least on this Amazon listing for about 2200 bucks for the 55 inch and about 3000 for the 65 inch with an arrival date of April 11th. And just mere minutes ago, our friend over at CNET, Mr. David Katzmeyer, he tweeted out a very interesting Samsung electronics search link that goes right to the S95B 
The pricing on the Samsung page is a little bit higher, but maybe shipping slightly sooner. Either way, there is now a write-up on the CNET page containing more details if you're into checking it out. But I would say in the next few weeks, uh, two weeks or so, two to three weeks, these TVs should be arriving. And if Sony isn't in the marketplace by then with their version of the QD OLED technology, well, it will be shortcoming as well. It's all happening in the next couple of weeks, apparently. <laughs> the listings are leaking. People are getting more hands-on time. At least what they showed off behind closed doors and very vaguely at CES in terms of the Samsung Electronics presentation, let alone what Samsung Display was showing, looks to be very similar in terms of the overall design. And it's just nice to actually have some actual pricing uh, to throw up there. Of course, we'll see in about three weeks whether or not this all holds in terms of what these numbers show but the prices don't look outrageous either uh it looks reasonable at least for brand new technology being introduced in it looks to be significantly less than what was maybe predicted for this say six months ago when we were all kind of guessing but anyway i'm super cool uh and excited about that also add to that the cool there is one (laughs) other size of this panel technology and that is the 34 inch widescreen monitors and they are hitting the streets currently. Uh, I believe Alienware got theirs out maybe a little bit quicker. If you dig into the menu settings, you'll find that you can enable these displays to effectively throw out 1,000 nit peak output. And apparently they calibrate quite well. And I am curious to see how many content creators look at these panels and the relative pricing compared to maybe pro displays. And I'll just be curious to see if they adopt any of these as they're... Uh, primary work panels, especially post-calibration. Either way, it's just good times, and I can't wait to spend some quality time pointing my calibration gear at these pixels. Uh, <laughs> be it the bigger 55 or 65-inch screens or those new widescreen 34-inch monitors. It's uh, it's going to be a pixels. good year for more OLED in more places, and we will see. This is a beautiful thing. So Amazon, this I was laughing because I was... I was uh, all I could think was, this is so familiar, right? Uh, is Except it's Amazon instead of cell phone carriers. Um, so this was announced last May, but literally, I guess today, the deal closed, and Amazon is now now owns MGM, right? Wow. Um, yeah, $8.5 billion. Amazon's announcement, the storied, nearly century-old studio with more than 4,000 film titles, 17,000 TV episodes, 180 Academy Awards, and 100 Emmy Awards will complement Prime Video and Amazon Studios' work in delivering a diverse offering of entertainment choices to customers. Probably nothing bad there for you if you're a Prime Video subscriber. Uh, Variety's write-up closes with uh, some of the diamonds in MGM's catalog, which would include uh, classics like 12 Angry Men, Basic Instinct, uh, Creed, Rocky, Legally Blonde, Moonstruck, Poltergeist, Raging Bull, RoboCop, Silence of the Lambs. I love that movie. Stargate, Thelma and Louise. I also love that movie. Tomb Raider, The Magnificent Seven. I also love that movie. The Pink Panther, The Thomas Crown Affair, and of course, the entire James Bond series. Uh, on the TV side of MGM, you're talking about uh, Fargo, The Handmaid's Tale, and Vikings. Um and, you know, every time I hear about one of these acquisitions, all I can think is, I wonder if they'll still do Blu-rays. <laughs> oh, I, I hope an occasional re-release, but given that your primary focus, at least with Amazon, would be yeah. luring more well, people into the streaming side of things. 
and taking... Amazon does <laughs> sell a lot of Blu-rays and DVDs, man. That's true. And not to upset them, but if you if you search for a Blu-ray on Amazon and it's or a DVD and it's out of print and there's some third-party seller asking $250 for, uh, you know... I think I, I was looking for the Young Ones on DVD, which was a British comedy thing. And uh, somebody wanted $250 for this, like, three DVD set. And it turned out there were a whole bunch of people selling it for, like, $35 on eBay. So, again, yeah. we've said it before, we've said it again. Don't assume Amazon has the best price, especially if you're shopping for antiquated television series that, you know. <laughs> Throw it into a different Although, search engine once in a while just to oh double check goodness. that. Double check that price double and get a great deal. Everything. Verify TV. before shopping. I could buy that series on Apple TV. I'm kind of curious what the telecine looks like, what the transfer looks like. That's always a question that's hard until you pay for it and take a look at it, whether or not you're going right. to like it or not. One thing I will say about Amazon, at least, with some of the previous classics I've seen on their streaming service mm-hmm. is that they generally looked really, really good. So yeah. I'm hoping they bring a level of quality, hopefully the best quality possible with their system. And they pull perhaps a Netflix and go through that content carefully and make sure <laughs> that their encoding is as good as it can be for the given bit rates and just ease of I'm, use. But, you know, I'm, I'm laughing because, <laughs> you know, especially all the new stuff on Amazon Prime, you know, Amazon Prime's doing some fantastic looking video. Uh, you know, HBO Max has really stepped things up over uh, the original HBO series. You know, Apple's, you know, the stuff looks gorgeous. Uh, and I'll be on Amazon Prime, and I, I still have a Stars membership and uh, or Stars account uh, subscription. And every so often, something will pop up on Stars, and they'll be like, ah, I <laughs> know. So Stars is lagging, but almost everybody else seems to be doing pretty good on the. On uh, giving you a you know a a a fairly modern <laughs> streaming video uh, versus something that maybe was compressed several generations of uh, playback <laughs> devices ago. Understood. Oh my goodness. Totally. You wanted to do a follow up on subpixels, and I feel like this is you know this is a classic AV one hundred and one kind of discussion, but. Yeah, we should talk about pixels. You should talk about pixels. I should shut up and listen. No, I was. We had that discussion last week where we were trying to go over just to correct from the previous week uh, some misrepresentation we had regarding the terms right. between like LCD and OLED, and that that takeaway from last week was really that when you look at any TV in the store, mm-hmm. it's going to be an LCD or an OLED, and just focusing on those display types, uh, and I'm going to ignore projection for the time being. Every pixel on this display, be it a 4K TV or a 1080p TV or whatever, the individual pixels that make up that picture are split into tiny red, green, and blue windows that emit light that combines in our eye to basically represent a single color at that particular pixel at a given moment. And how we generate that light that illuminates those tiny little RGB windows, regardless of the display type, Uh, is what really is the difference between an LCD and an OLED. And within OLEDs, uh, particularly mobile devices, the small handheld ones we all enjoy from the various Mm -hmm. manufacturers using those kind of panels, the individual RGB subpixels are actually materials that glow red, blue, or green for each subpixel that's represented on the screen. 
for they te- generate their own light. Exactly. And in the case of TVs, though, we still split that material up into controllable sections for each individual subpixel per pixel. But the difference is that instead of having individual red, green, and blue glowing materials like we would have on a mobile display, the TV-style OLEDs are actually creating that color through color filtering, through plastic, or some kind of quantum dot conversion. With LCDs, the light literally is LEDs glowing from behind pushing through. And with OLEDs, we're literally talking about very tiny patches per subpixel of a glowing material that then forms each subpixel. And both take that base light, whatever it is, be it the glowing OLED or the glowing LED, it then gets filtered and converted into the red, blue, and green we see per subpixel. I think I will stop right there. I have a question. The little tiny screens on phones basically have individual, I'm going to call them lights, right? LEDs, right? Um, on a television, a larger screen, it is a LED with some more fancy material in front of it that creates the subpixel. At some point, does the manufacturing technology for the cell phones scale up to the televisions, or is there any advantage? Is there any? Is there anything better about either process? Well, originally, the very first OLED television I ever looked at was from Samsung, a a large format one. There were smaller ones I've seen from Sony and others, but... The 11-inch, $35,000. Yes. (laughs) Samsung's original OLED television many years ago was using individual materials that would glow red, blue, and green. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it turned out those three materials did not age consistently or at the same rate. So that over time, say... And generally, it's been the case that blue seems to age faster than the others. So the screen in general would turn yellowish over time as blue loses its energy. And in the case of cell phones, uh, that tiled style display for the individual materials that glow the red, blue, and the green, they have not been able to scale that up very large, apparently. And in order to get around that, what companies like LG have done over the years and now Samsung is simply sticking with a single color for the OLED material broken up into the individual squares for each subpixel that can be controlled as, as far as their light output and then mm-hmm. either in the case of LG running that backlight of an OLED material through a color filter or in the case of Samsung and their newer displays they're looking to do it with this quantum dot color converter that is turning some of blue light into the red and the green. And I'll leave it right there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's remarkable that it would be neat to see a mobile-sized true RGB OLED actually scaled up much larger. But apparently there are right. some difficulties with that. And it's taken quite a while just to get to the point where we have these amazing mobile displays nowadays. Take, for example, the latest generation Samsung Galaxy S22, Uh, at least the plus version, that thing can pump out like 1700 nits. It does practically full DCI P3 color. Uh, It's a fantastic looking piece of display technology, but they can't seem to get that to scale up much larger. And also considering that most people keep their TVs, generally speaking, a lot longer than they're going to keep a cell phone. Uh, you can probably run those mobile devices a little hotter and heavier than you would a, a consumer TV that's going to live in your living room for a, a good long time. Copy that. I, I, I kept using the word subpixel over and over last week, and this was just, I just wanted to clarify that, yeah, uh, all displays we look at, 
LCD and OLEDs all have subpixel structures. And it's just in terms of how we light up those individual subpixels and make them the color they appear is really the difference between your LCD and your OLED. Is anybody still doing a, like an RGBY where the subpixel is divided into four colors instead of three? The yellow. Uh, remember yeah. back with the Sharp Electronics panels, they were trying to pioneer that for a while because uh, for various reasons, usually some other limitation they're trying to conceal. And it, <laughs> it adds significantly to the cost if you have to suddenly add... Yet instead of three tiny windows, now you're going to split that that square pixel into four windows. Right. And there's no real spec for that in terms of the way video is produced nowadays. But in addition to Sharp Electronics going with the yellow subpixel for improved performance, LG has gone down a similar route with their OLED TVs in terms of having a, a separate white subpixel just for adding a little bit of punch when they can. Uh, rather than you know combining red, blue, and green light to make white, just have one of those a fourth of the of the of the pixel structure itself actually just dedicated to white light, and that has advantages and disadvantages, of course, in terms of color saturation. But that's another way to do it, and we're still not at the point yet where we have large format, true emissive RGB subpixels. Uh, yeah, where each individual subpixel is an actual material that glows that particular color without the need for further filtering that's we're talking probably five years away for something like that but it's coming it. eventually or maybe somebody's <laughs> gonna get, or somebody's gonna get creative with the way they do it on the mobile side and maybe scale that up i will have to take a look at some of the latest tablets that have come out they may be incorporating some technology like this that's also somewhere where people are looking to, companies like Apple and others, are looking to actually sure. do a true LED display where you have micro RGB LEDs that make up each pixel. Those could be driven quite bright and still provide an OLED-like experience where when you turn off the individual LEDs, hey, you get pure black and you get that super contrast that everyone seems to love. But anyway, that's a little sub-pixel love for the St. Patrick's Day and I'm going to... <laughs> if you have any questions about any of this uh please shoot us an email ask at avxl.com oh my goodness shifting gears in a really random direction um i don't think we have a lot of tube amplifier users out there uh, maybe maybe we do and i'm just not aware of it and i'm pretty sure we don't have any tube rollers out there tube rollers are people who have like a headphone amp or a uh, stereo amp and they like to swap tubes in it because they think or they believe or they when they when they try different tubes, um, it, it impacts the sound, you know, like changing the flavor. Just in case your guitar playing neighbor is freaking out about finding 12AX7s for her favorite stomp pedal, it has been really weird. I, and I should point out that a lot of tubes are made in Russia. And, of course, sanctions in response to the... Ukraine invasion have, have shut the availability of those down. And, and I will also say this is probably the least important piece of news I could ever cover around the Ukraine invasion. Uh, delete expletive Putin. Uh, I hope his heart explodes, preferably on television. A little cross with him. Uh, so, but, you know, I, I know people, especially uh, musicians who need tubes for, for different gear they use. And I thought this was hopeless, right? Because tubes were still used in a lot of uh, Soviet military equipment at the end of the cold war and that's part of the reason why they still had all this gear there i thought this was hopeless but uh audio express which is a fantastic resource for audio you know reviews technology announcements and stuff audioexpress.com uh they've got some hope 
for people out there that need their shiny hot glass tubes. Uh, Tube Amp Doctors, a German company. They were they were already managing supply issues around 12AX7, ECC83, EL84s, EL34s, and 6L6GC tubes because... And this is also a really kind of interesting things I never thought about in terms of supply issues for products coming out of China. The world's largest maker, which was Shu uh, Guang, which is a Chinese manufacturer, they shut down their operation because they were going to move to a new factory, and then they never got the permits to build a new one. So well. the general consensus is they're never coming back online. So Tubeamp Doctor has been building up and literally building up the infrastructure for a new manufacturer. So look for TAD red-based tubes if you need a tube. Uh, go to tubeampdoctor.com is a place to search for that. I'm sure with the way, you know, toilet paper went last year, tube amp enthusiasts have probably been buying a lifetime supply of whatever they need to keep their gear running. Uh, I knew kind of in the back of my head that Western Electric was producing 300B vacuum tubes, but it was really kind of fascinating. Westernelectric.com is uh, essentially... An entrepreneur bought out when AT&T broke up, uh, they split off. He basically bought Western Electric's uh, manufacturing, like the tooling from uh, AT&T slash Western Electric's Kansas City plant, which ran until I think 1988. Now they're producing out of their own plant in Rossville, Georgia. There's a whole history. If you go to westernelectric.com slash company dash history, and they, they make a bunch of uh, high-end expensive tube-based audio gear. I had no idea because 300Bs have always been kind of expensive to me, and I'm pretty sure you can get less expensive tubes manufactured elsewhere. But a match pair of 300Bs from like the the Western from Western Electric from the Western Electric tooling, which has been updated, and they they've got a whole thing where they match everything. It's uh, $1,500 for a pair. So. Yikes. As an electromechanical product, it is a magnificent looking piece of, you know, I, I hate to say fancy light bulb because that's rude, uh, especially because I started my first ham radios were all tube based. So I, I have some affection for tubes. But as soon as I get into sort of, for me, I have not heard a lot of tube amplifiers that I could ever afford that can reproduce what I get from uh from solid state amplifiers. But in any case, uh, if you want to nerd out and see some really interesting videos, uh, westernelectric.com slash company dash history or search for Western Electric tube manufacturing on YouTube. Um, this clearly must be more popular of a area of home theater than I previously realized. It, it, the fact that there are companies out there with very specific tube designs that are still popular today and apparently there is a enough difference between swapping one tube out for another in terms of the sound it produces to give somebody Enough I, satisfaction to go to all this trouble. <laughs> and if one country drops the ball in terms of the production, two others seem to jump right into place. And that that's cool. It keeps it going, at least. I don't, I don't know how I feel about tube rolling. It's, um, you know, whether or not humans can actually... Like our audio memory is generally not capable of remembering something like, you know, I, I use the phrase audio memory because I've seen it written down. But essentially, it's really hard for people to honestly compare something we heard 10 minutes ago with something we're listening to now, much less the time it takes to, you know, shut down an amplifier, have the tubes cool off, pull the old tubes out, pull the new ones in. I, 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 I put this more towards the cable end. There are people who believe the right cable completely changes the tonality of their system. Okay. Uh, I have never experienced that. I can't measure that. But, you know, by all means, um, you know, I, I think there's a, you know, I would be curious who's buying them. 
You know, I know there's a lot of people who use them for microphone amplifiers or, or guitar effects or guitar amplifiers. And there's a lot of, you know, my I gave my next door neighbor uh, a radio I picked up at a garage sale. He collected uh, vintage audio gear. And I found this amazing radio. And it was still tube-powered, right? And so there's p- still people using old AM, FM radios. But I would be curious to see where it's going. I don't think there's a really big, you know, I think maybe monetarily it might be a large number. But I don't think there's a large number of home theater people running tube amplifiers and if you are one of those people email us ask at totally <laughs> and my question would simply be does swapping a tube in a tube-based amplifier actually change the way it sounds i would assume it would in some degree well does swapping transistors change the way it sounds shouldn't you know i would think less on a digital side of things but uh, who knows? I'm gonna I'm gonna back yeah. away from this conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do not see the light. You know. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, well, if you want us to talk about tubes, email us askdavidxl.com. I have a I have a tube headphone amplifier I picked up for a review because somebody was really curious. It was like a fifty dollar headphone amplifier, tube amplifier, and uh, I will say it was not a particularly impressive piece of gear. It was also you know a fifty dollar product. From a company that was probably still figuring out how to manufacture things at the time. I have no doubt that tubes, especially as far as amplification goes for audio enjoyment, provide a certain sound, a quality to them that people really do appreciate. I mean, hell. Second order harmonics. A long time ago, they actually had a tube-based amplifier on a motherboard, I want to say. So I've seen some strange stuff in my time, but. I've, uh, it's just good to see that, you know, in times of trouble, the tube amp folks are staying, staying fit and staying uh, stocked <laughs> with whatever they need, hopefully. I'll tell you what, I've just found at least one article discussing uh, tube rolling. I'll see if I can find if anybody's done any measurements or stuff. We'll, we'll revisit this. Or if you're horrified by the <laughs> thought of us talking about tube amplification, you know, say it one more time. Email askadvxl.com or tweet at Robert Heron or at Patrick Norton. <laughs> Stick to pixels, Aaron. <laughs> Once again, um, <laughs> this is uh, Richard Lawler uh, and Katie Keck over at The Verge, um, some fantastic writers. Richard's actually even showed up at one of our meetups at uh, at CES. Uh, they, they really summed this up in a really great subhead. Netflix is not only getting more expensive, it's getting stingy. Uh, Shinji Long, the Netflix director of product innovation, dropped a big old announcement uh, this week. I want to say paying to share Netflix outside of your household. Essentially, it says we made password sharing too easy. Uh, Too many households are sharing accounts and they need to make money. Or as they put it, this is, quote, impacting our ability to invest in great new TV and films for our members, end quote. And if, if, uh, you know, not sharing... My pa- I, first of all, I don't share my password with anybody. Second of all, uh, you know, I want more Mitchells and the Machines type stuff. But they said, uh, or, or Ms. Long says, so for the last year, we've been working on ways to enable members who share outside their household to do so easily and securely while also paying a bit more. Tests are starting in Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru. Uh, essentially, if you have a standard or a premium plan, you can add sub-accounts for up to two people that don't live with you. Each gets their own profile, personalized recommendations. They get their own login. They get their own password. Uh, and essentially, you pay like a, you know, in Costa Rica, it'll be like a $2 VIG for each additional account or each of the two additional sub-accounts you add to your account. 
I actually, the thing that really caught my eye was they're bringing the ability to transfer your profile to a new account. You know, if you have kids of a certain age, they've been using your Netflix, like their profile and your Netflix account, they have to start all over again if they get their own account, which, you know, maybe that's the problem is they're not getting their own account and too many people are sharing them. But Netflix is finally bringing the ability to transfer your profile to a new account or to an extra member sub account. Um, this is helpful. This should be everywhere. Because I know people right. who have like split a house and split one Netflix account because four people, one television. Uh, and then when they moved, they lost all of their profile, their history. You know, unfortunately, as help.netflix.com clearly states, uh, the profile transfer feature is currently unavailable in this country because they're testing it out in, I guess, Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru. I'll be curious how that resolves. I hope... Uh, uh, I'm not going to, you know, wish anybody to be paying more for Netflix, uh, although I consume a lot of Netflix and I admire the products they produce. Um, but I will say it'd be nice if they uh, get that profile transfer. So That is interesting. Uh, well, I don't know how yeah. I feel about this. I mean, in the end, it's uh, for me personally, it's probably going to cost me a little more money because I have what the full HD 4K Dolby right. everything plan from Netflix. And that provides four accounts currently. And of those four, I'm using two of them, uh, one within right. the house and one outside of the house. And yeah, if, if suddenly they just want to ding me a couple more dollars a month just for having one of those accounts outside of the physical household. Yeah, I, uh, I could see some people getting a little hardcore about this and probably putting yeah. them and their friends all in the same VPN pointed to the same place. But yeah, I don't want to I don't have time for that. So I'll see. <laughs> I might you know, have to it's, ask for a little contribution. Right. Otherwise, uh, I'm not too worried about it. But for people like me also who are, I'm, I'm not fully utilizing my current plan anyway. Right. So it's like, holy crap. I'm, I, if anything, I'm one of the under users of the service considering what I'm buying and uh, how much of it I actually use. I could pretend I had a business hat to put on because you could talk about, okay, are sign up slowing? Is revenue growth slowing? Is, is, you know, the, are they having a drop in revenue compared to the insane bump in revenue they had during, uh, you know, the pandemic? Um, there's a lot of reasons I can see them doing this. And, uh, you know, and I also got to give them credit. They were compared to every other streaming service I use. You know, where I've, you know, there's a bunch of, especially audio streaming services where my wife has turned on something on the Sonos in the house and it's dropped my streaming on my phone, right? Because they will only allow you to stream at one place at one time for amount of money that is comparable to what I pay to stream to multiple devices in or outside of my house on Netflix. Netflix has been incredibly generous. They've been loose, as as we would say, with their requirements for streaming, you know, streaming multiple streams inside of a house. But they've been very generous with allowing you to stream multiple streams from one account outside the house, you know. And I get that. I, I get them wanting to claw some of that back. You know, I don't think I'm excited about it, but, you know. I see where they're coming from. It is from. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find out. Cell phone speakers? What hey. did you do? I'm also now <laughs> afraid to look at my cell phone speaker. I had an epiphany the other day uh, while cell phone shopping and then realizing one of the things <laughs> that I did not like about my old phone was that it sounded noticeably worse than when it was new. And it never really occurred to me that, hey, maybe I should take a good close look at the speakers built into that device. And a little bit of cleaning went a long way. And the end result was me being very sorry I didn't do this sooner as it restored not only the audio quality, but it minimized distortions and it really brought back an older device to life. 
And just a couple of quick tips. One, uh, if you've never cleaned the speakers on your phone or taken a look at them, and it's been at least a year or two, find them. Uh, Find those small speaker openings. Many phones also have separate microphone openings too. They can be anything from, in the case of my phone, I have actually tiny grills over front firing speakers on the top surface of the phone. Some phones will have a bottom speaker that fires out the bottom through actual holes in the case. Either way, find those locations and clean them out. Some of the tools that will help out with this would be an old but relatively clean toothbrush, wooden toothpicks, Those little plastic dental flossers are great, especially the pick end for getting into spots, uh, especially the small holes where speakers might be out the bottom of a cell phone and getting in there and making sure all the gunk's out. And while you're there, check your power cord as well, where it plugs in to make sure there's not a bunch of compressed lint shoved up in there as well. Once I had gotten the, the worst of it that I could from the external just gentle picking and things like that. I took that old toothbrush and with just a tiny bit of 90% alcohol, I then would dip the toothbrush slightly and then gently brush. In this case, I was dealing with tiny speaker grills, but to get the gunk out of those grills and to free everything up, I just would push the toothbrush in and out, getting the bristles into the grill spaces. And a little bit of that and taking your time doing it, uh, a little bit of compressed air or just simply blowing it out when you're done, really made it quite easy then within a few minutes to clean out those gaps and literally restoring a night and day difference in terms of the uh, sound quality of my mobile device. So try not to flood your speakers or any gaps (laughs) in your otherwise sealed phone with alcohol. That can have a tendency to break up uh, any kind of glues or other adhesives that might be holding things together. Or it just might be pushing things into your phone that you don't otherwise want to. Do a good job on the external cleaning. Take your time with it. But do check those little tiny gaps. Like I was mentioning that Samsung uh, S22 earlier. Finding that the earpiece on that was a bit of a challenge. I almost didn't even see it. It it literally (laughs) runs along a, a slight seam at the top of the display. And it's almost invisible. So if you have noticed a... Some audio degradation in your beloved mobile device. Yeah, a little gentle cleaning goes a long way. And I'm, again, I am really sorry I didn't do this sooner. And it makes my uh, my old cell phone sound like a champ now. Oh my goodness, this applies to, to earbuds too. Oh yeah. If you're of an age, or not of an age, uh, if you have earwax, and you probably do, every so often check, you know, pull the tip off and make sure there's not a giant bolus of wax uh, hopefully no one's eating while they're listening to this <laughs> inside the uh, inside the uh, tube. Or if you have foam plugs and they get gunked up, um, you know, or if you haven't realized it, if your your tips are starting to get loose, replace the tips. Clean the tips, you know, if they're gunked up. If they're no longer holding well in your ear, replace the tips. You know, because if you don't have bass in an earbud, it, it could be that the earbud has no bass. There's a lot of earbuds out there that with just horrendous sub-100 uh, hertz bass performance but the other thing is if if they are loose if they don't fit your ear canals properly then they will not you will not get bass it just does not work but it's also kind of crazy i I helped somebody it was a real nightmare because there was a screen over the tip 
of the earbud that inserted into the the silicone tip that went into your ear. Right. Uh, and they had managed to get a bunch of stuff crufted into that tiny, tiny grid. And what you don't want to do, especially if it's some crazy uh, earbud with multiple armatures, is to drip things through the, t- the tip of the earbud that points towards your ear and getting it inside that, the what's in, you know, getting inside of there. But you might be able to, to get away with that it. on a cell phone, but if you're encountering right. that on something like you just described, yeah, that's where I'm even a little more careful than I otherwise would be. In this case, it turned out that the the little screens were essentially removable, and then we could clean them separate, oh. and the screens kept the majority of the gunk out of the system itself. We didn't actually reach inside the, the earbud itself. But... That is a good design. I appreciate that. I do. I, replace, I appreciate replaceable cables on headphones, too. It's always yeah. nice. In my case on my cell phone, it was noticeable distortion in the audio. And it, it became really night and day once it was cleaned up. But that affected everything from just, you know, general enjoyment to using things like my speakerphone. And it would be the same thing if you have in-ear headphones or in-ear right. earbuds that collect a little bit of gunk. Everything will eventually be it just <laughs> pocket lint to you name it. And uh, right. cell phones, given their general use and abuse, they can uh, need a little love in terms of their audio quality to make them sound as good as possible. I will not argue that. Speaking of uh, replacing things or updating things, um, I was really excited last week, last month. Uh, Epson announced their new flagship projector for installers, the Pro Cinema LS12000 which has lasers, a uh, 20,000 hour laser light source. And as a long time projector owner uh, and a enthusiast and owner out of my own pocket of an Epson projector, um, the idea of never having to replace a lamp again is a big deal. Um, Good you know, I like that concept. So uh, as we talked about, it's, uh, you know, it's a three 1080p um, LCDs, a true three chip LCD engine. So there's no rainbows. Um, that gets turned into your eight point something million pixels. I should know this number, <laughs> you know, you know, 4k resolution. Uh, yeah. Coming out the front, 120 Hertz refresh rate, 36 bit Epson ZX picture processor. And I'll say it again, that 20,000 hour laser light source, along with support for HDR 10 plus and HLG along with of course, HDR. So this week they revealed their new flagship consumer projector, which is the Epson pro cinema LS 11,000. Uh, again, this is essentially the consumer, not the installer version. Uh, it's a thousand dollars less than the LS 12,000. So it costs $4,000. It's got the same 36 bit ZX processor refresh rates, you know, the HDR 10 plus HLG support. Oh, and something I don't know if I mentioned last week, uh, the LS 12,000 and the 11,000 both feature sub 20 millisecond lag for the gamers, which is pretty good for a projector. The two basic differences is you're getting 2,500 lumens instead of 2,700, which uh, I would prefer 2,700, but that's not a huge change. And two, you don't get a ceiling mount or the cable cover for the back of the projector in the box like you do with the LS12000. So a little fewer lumens, you don't get the ceiling mount uh, or the fancy cover in the box. You also, it's white instead of black. Uh, So if you're desperate for a black... uh, projector to hang from your ceiling that you're you're looking for the ls12000 uh i cannot wait to see both of these projectors tested so i can start getting all uh fomo all fear of missing out or not about my epson 5050ub which is rated at 2600 lumens but has a comparatively dated uh processor and of course doesn't pack uh support for hdr 10 plus or hlg true that 
I don't know if I have anything that generates HLG uh, video, but HDR10 Plus content streams on YouTube, Prime Video, Hulu, Google Play Movies, and TV, Paramount Plus, amongst others, uh, which I don't think we have access to in the U.S., but... One of my favorite things about laser projectors in general is just the faster startup time and shutdown time. It is, in a sense, because it's not a lamp that requires right. some warm-up time, and then you got to be a little gentle with it when you turn it off and let it cool yeah. down nicely. And these are pretty much glass. like, yeah, in seconds, you have a working picture, and then seconds after turning it off, likewise. Although the cooling will generally run for a little bit longer after just to yeah. keep everything nice and not toasty. But yeah. I can't. I'm looking forward to seeing that. And like I've always said, I'm that, curious. That 50 50 is still fantastic. And I find that lasers, generally speaking, have a little bit tougher of a time doing really epic contrast than other than lamp based projectors in general. Uh, all other things being equal. But I am awaiting to be proven wrong and lasers to uh, ascend to the finest of all home theater display types <laughs> eventually. <laughs> Eventually. And also reminded me that I need to ask Dolby about Dolby Vision certification and projectors. I think mostly it's a brightness issue uh, for the Dolby Vision specs, but uh, I'll see if I can get an official answer from the folks at Dolby. It's also paying for um, the license to decode that content. That's what it really is. <laughs> well. And then true. Dolby, I'm sure Dolby has a checkbox list of things that need to be there first before they'd even consider it for certification. So. Right. In theory, there was one projector coming out of China that was going to be certified, uh, Dolby Vision certified, but I don't think I've seen any testing on that. I don't know if it actually shipped. That did pop up in the news earlier today. I forget exactly why, but I think it is actually <laughs> going to be shipping soon. We'll bring that up next week. We'll dig it up and let you Sounds know. Sounds like a plan. Let's give a shout out uh, news from Polk, the Magnify Mini AX. Polk's had the Magnify Mini for a while, which is a very, very small soundbar. The Mini AX is uh, compelling, right? It's this small soundbar, and I'll tell you how small in a minute. Uh, bundled with a subwoofer, uh, it's a system. Dolby Atmos, DTSX surround sound support, that's great. Bluetooth support, that's great. You can get your music to it. Uh, Apple AirPlay 2, Chromecast, Spotify Connect, all awesome. It's, again, doing Atmos and DTSX in a 14.5-inch box. So something about the size of a loaf of bread that sits down in front of your television, which is pretty small. You can uh, use a pair of Polk SR2 wireless speakers to create rear channels. $500 for the uh, combination of the Magnify Mini AX and the subwoofer. Um, so I'm hoping you got solid bass down to 50 hertz. That would be nice out of the subwoofer. Um, I'm kind of crazy. I'm really curious to hear how this sounds. Because I have not heard the Magnify Mini. Because the idea, and I'm sure, you know, you throw DSP at things, you can do amazing stuff with psychoacoustics. But it's kind of crazy, the idea of doing a front sound stage out of something that is 15 inches wide. True. You know? That would uh, be a case for some some sound processing would probably go a long way toward that. Yeah. Any sound bar, especially some of these newer, smaller products... They're just as capable for providing very clear dialogue for content. So if, if you're one of those people that you yourself or others you know experience uh, maybe not the best hearing anymore and sometimes too much boom can even interrupt how you perceive dialogue, a product like this can be a, such a nice easy upgrade on a television that gives you just an easy way to enjoy it uh, clearly 
with in terms of spoken dialogue, be it an action sequence or in a quiet moment. Uh, I have no doubt that this handles it pretty well. Uh, this apparently doesn't feature any kind of AI support, although it does have some nice features though for Android users being with it, uh, being a Bluetooth device in addition to Chromecast support, which is always kind of cool. Did you say AI support? No, it doesn't appear to, and that's okay. Uh, with, you, you know, mean like voice commands? Right, like having okay. Amazon or <laughs> Google in particular, the two big ones. That's a big part of our household. It's everything, lights, right. uh, heating and cooling. So much can be done with that, including the magical words to turn on and off the television itself, which I'm I just think... I'm just giggling because I'm in my, my my mind didn't go to voice. It didn't go to A-L-E-X-A or, you know, Google or Siri. It immediately went to this voice, uh, you know, in my head going, Robert. You've watched 27 hours of Buffy the Vampire Slayer this week. Perhaps you would like to try something more educational or perhaps a fine news program. MotoGP is also available. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, uh, sorry. No, no worries <laughs> about any of that with the Polk Magnified Mini AX. <laughs> One thing though, I don't see Polk uh, highlighting in any way is any kind of room audio correction technology for a product like this. And that's. One thing that Sonos has across most of their products that I do appreciate, and even on some of the Bose systems, the more expensive ones, I find they do offer some kind of room audio correction so that if room perchance you, gets spendy. you place the you speaker know. in not the ideal location, right. uh, you have a chance of making it sound okay if, if it cannot be moved to a better location. Anyway, still. There's only so much you can pack in a $500 box, man. True, and a and a fourteen and a half inch <laughs> front channel. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's going to need a little help, especially for a larger room up close, and with a speaker that size, that would literally be almost ideal for something like a twenty seven inch PC monitor or right. smaller. Even you could squeeze that into more places, or if you just don't want a big sound bar sitting in front of you, I think this is where these smaller speaker options are uh, becoming popular. We'll see. Not yeah. everyone is thrilled with the idea of having, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine speakers in their living room. Fortunately, I have a living room that's mostly a home theater, and we have a, I don't know what we call the fan. Maybe the living room is upstairs, and this is the rumpus room. I'm bringing the rumpus room back, people. <laughs> More speakers <laughs> equals better. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What do you What do you watch this week? What are you listening to this week? I was just plowing through my CD audio track collection and I was doing some speaker testing. And as I mentioned earlier, I managed to actually place a speaker in a pretty bad spot within my home office. I didn't realize that it looked really cool where I placed the speaker, but it was just about perfectly pointed into a, a perfect cube shaped area. And uh -oh. the way that affected the response of the speaker and the way it sounded, I at first thought something was broken or or <laughs> not working properly. And it, it took me a couple of minutes to figure that out. Corners and speakers are not perfect together. No, no. Avoid the cube or avoid a cube-like scenario for your audio to perfectly bounce off every wall and hit a spot and create all sorts of odd distortions. And anyway, uh, that was fun. It, again, just kind of going through my CD audio collection that I have stored on a local NAS box uh, encoded in lossless formats. 
it makes me realize I need to go through my DV power amp utilities and check a few of my tracks <laughs> and maybe re-rip a disc or two. And I'll be uh, hopefully digging into that. Also, MotoGP had their first race last weekend and the next race is coming up this weekend. I need to fire up my account and get caught up. That's just uh, pure fun. And apparently there is an F1 race coming up that will be in full HDR. So I'll be curious to see if any sports adopt live HDR broadcasts as a norm or if it's just going to be these one-off events like I've seen for at least with motorsports. You'd think with the kind of money that F1 has, you know, there are challenges to doing live events in something like Atmos or Vision, right? True. Because um, there's, there's, you know, a, a lot of processing that goes on. I just feel like it's just, if you have 30 cameras at a race and you want to go to HDR, then I, I don't know. I don't know why they're not doing 4K. You know, I don't know if it's a satellite issue or a streaming issue. Cost. Um, it's not like F1 doesn't have the money. Uh, maybe they just don't have the ability to get it from the race course to the satellite and down to all the places that would be watching it live. Well, even the races I've seen that featured an HDR broadcast, it, it's always uh -huh. enough just to get it in 4K, but then it's usually a special event, and it's almost like, at least for the 2021 season, it seemed like a test just to see if they could do it, if it would look right. Uh, where were they getting their best shots with what cameras, that kind of thing. Right. And then you're probably hammering out any details in terms of the processing and delivery of that to our eyeballs. But uh, one, I'm just happy to see that perhaps we'll get better and more 4K programming uh, this year in live sports, in addition to broadcast with things like Next Gen or ATSC 3.0. Sure. But the color, though, in particular, especially for live events, it really is more window-like. As weird as maybe an HDR broadcast would be, uh, if you think about it for a second, it's just closer to what it would be if you were actually sitting there. And right. anything that can deliver more of that to me in my home environment, my home theater environment, or even just mobile, <laughs> I'll take it. That's <laughs> no I will say not having to wear earmuffs while watching Formula One is okay with me. Motorsports in general are dangerous in person. You really can't. Hard in F1, though. You, you cannot skip the hearing protection whatsoever at any of these kind of events. And that's one nice thing I do see, though. Even with uh, sports like NASCAR, if they do right. any shots of kids there, they almost 99.9% .9 of the time have hearing protection on or they're in a space where it's protected for them already. But, yeah. It's <laughs> not the 70s anymore. Oh, man. Those are noises that will uh, stick with you longer than expected if you don't take the proper precautions. So, I was I was down on a, a cart track uh, several years ago in San Diego, and uh, yeah, I was I was uh, I was like doubling, tripling, and fourpling up on my ear protection. Um, those are just insanely loud at close range. Earplugs plus earmuffs equal sometimes necessary. <laughs> oh my goodness. Not sure I mentioned Cruella in our end of the year, best of 2021 uh, wrap up. I just realized I freaking loved that punk rock take on Cruella DeVille's origin story. It's it's supposed to be kind of a 60s thing aesthetically, but it's got a whole bunch of 
you know, early 70s British punk rock going on there. Uh, and watching Emma Stone and uh, Emma Thompson chew scenery is awesome. I love Emma Thompson as an actress, and Emma Stone's done some really phenomenal work. Um, I also realized after watching a whole bunch of activity around the Mitchells and the Machines on Twitter that I'm ready to rewatch uh, the Mitchells and the Machines. Um, I also started watching Spielberg's kind of randomly. Uh, I guess it showed up on. Uh, I guess it showed up on Disney Plus. Uh, Spielberg's West Side Story, um, which is weird because of all the movies you would remake, why would you remake West Side Story? And I actually kind of got sucked into it. I started it way too late to finish it last night. Uh, my fault, not Spielberg's. But I, I have a feeling like I'm going to spend some time watching the original and Spielberg's version and uh, uh, and puzzling out what's going on there. It's an interesting. It, it is somebody who who spent a bunch of time in in, uh, in in the buildings that replace the buildings that are being destroyed in the beginning of oh, was that a spoiler? Uh, in the beginning of Spielberg's movie, it was interesting to kind of see its take on that era of Manhattan uh, as they were tearing down the brownstones and putting up big buildings. Uh, I'm curious. I I, I just cool. had to say that. Yeah. Uh, quick correction. We talked about the Brantz's 40N, uh, their new spectacular stereo amplifier. Uh, the 40N, unlike the Model 30, is a class AB amplifier, I was told. Uh, they were making edits on the, on the site to show that. Uh, I am fine with either AB or class D amplifier topologies. Uh, they both can be phenomenal. An update on the wireless Den and Home subwoofer we talked about last week. I didn't realize you can actually take a Den and Home 550 soundbar, the Den and Home subwoofer, and then add a couple of Den and Home satellite speakers like the 150, 250, or 350 and create a full 5.1 system. So they're definitely kind of gunning for the Sonos market there. Oh, um, curious. Uh, yeah. I'm actually kind of gunning for my own Sonos setup like that right now. I, I'm missing a couple of rear channels and I want to put that together with one of their subwoofers and one of their premium sound bars and give that a listen to see if it's at all practical given the price points and what could be done otherwise, but convenient and it will look damn good and it should sound pretty sweet. And I, I can't wait to actually get that together. And eh, apparently it's a popular category with companies like Denon and others. <laughs> yeah. Doing it up doing it up uh yeah i will say i i gotta if you don't have a lot of money and you want a really nice stereo experience a pair of sonos ones um you know whether you do it as a smart speaker version or you do the the you know the the smart speakerless version taking two of those and pairing them into a stereo uh setup is really kind of phenomenal um it's a lot of a lot of value for your money they do nice work on their speakers discreet as well um, especially the yeah. the one or the one sls thinking in that vein i've got a den and avr and i use it with airplay basically i can do a whole bunch of like cobas uh using airplay to uh spotify i can stream to it or the, you can use the heo streaming app they all work really well with my den and avr to do stereo music part of me is always frustrated because i can't use my sotos app to control the den and avr and the speakers it's right. attached to uh, but I can run everything off of Spotify uh, in part, I think, thanks to AirPlay 2. It's fascinating to me to have an AVR that I can stream things to. That is nice. It is. And it's uh, it sounds really good. 
Oh, my goodness. Hey, if you got a uh, question for us, if you got something you're curious about, if you want to share a piece of news with us, something you think the AVXL audience is curious about, do us a favor. Tweet at Robert Heron, at Patrick Norton, or at AVXL. If you like hashtags, hashtag AskAVXL works fine. And I think we've said it like nine times in this episode. But if you want to ask us a question, uh, especially if you want to get into detail, do us a favor. Email us, ask at AVXL.com. And one last time before we go, thank you. Thank you, thank you to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash avxl. Because, again, your monthly contributions make this show possible. Thank you for making that happen. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL. All right.